Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about dark fates and wretched recognition. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, And tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Emma Lauren and S.M. Small are voice talents Elithia Fay, Justin Reynolds, Jeff Sturdivant, Melissa Medina, Alicia Pavlis, Nick Goroff, and myself, Steve Taylor. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first tale of the evening is written by Emma Lauren and is performed by Alithia Fay. St. Patrick's Night is the story of what lurks in the wake of a rural Irish town's biggest annual celebration. A young woman's long walk home from the pub is plagued with sinister encounters as she's followed by a masked stranger. But they're not the only ones out after nightfall. Something else is watching from the shadows, something darker and more ancient than even St. Patrick himself. Now, without further ado, I present to you St. Patrick's Night. The small town lay still in the wake of its most eventful annual celebration, St. Patrick's Day. Every year on the anniversary of the saint's death, all the local residents for miles around fill the square and line the streets clad in their tackiest emerald attire. Children with tinsel and tenne sit atop red-faced fathers as they strain to steady their children. Dogs bark excitedly in little top hats while groups of women in green tutus drink shamrock shakes and wave flags. Only the finest local businesses and school groups participate in the parade, such as Mixed Timber Supplies and Septic Tanks, Inc., often participating with themes like Under the Sea and Vikings. The residents at the local retirement home where I work never bother with the theme. They choose to dress as members of Toy Story or Mexicans Against Trump and wave as they are slowly driven past on the flatbed truck. I love those guys. At most parades, someone will dress up as St. Patty himself and walk around holding up a fake snake in victory. The man wasn't even Irish, my granddad used to say. He was a retired historian and hated St. Patrick's Day. He would tell me tales of Celtic times, of warriors and scholars, mages and druids, or local legends of ancient tombs and fairy hills, while I sat next to him munching fig rolls. He made it seem like the world was full of magic until St. Patrick came and did away with it all. He'd still come along to see the parade with my parents and me, but he'd grumble about it afterwards, saying, That man was the beginning of the end. I could still hear the music and laughter from the pub at the bottom of the hill. I'd spent most of the evening there with some old school friends. I'd almost gotten into an argument after shouting, Salancha, to the death of St. Patrick, to my friends, gleaning a dozen angry glares from nearby locals while they muttered to each other beneath their frowns and orange wigs. The group of us afloat in a heaving sea of late-night revelers also dressed in shades of green. But I'd had enough for one night. Aaron, turn it down, Neve had said while tugging at my shirt for me to sit. You're always getting us into trouble, she said, frowning. So what? I'm pro-pagan, I protested with a smile. But the others just looked mortified. After that, I decided it was time to leave. My foot stuck to an ice cream wrapper, snapping me out of my thoughts. I groaned as I steadied myself against a windowsill and peeled it off the sole of my shoe using the tips of my nails. Ugh, gross, I said to the empty road. Glancing around me, the main street looked suitably trashed. The tricolor bunting along the lamppost lay limp and torn in the breeze. Flags stood at odd angles from dark windows while the street was littered with discarded hairbands, plastic flags, bottles glasses, and a smorgasbord of other festive detritus. The light from the street lamps bathed my way in a nicotine-stained glow, giving the filthy scene a surreal quality. The cold air smelled of wood smoke and stale Guinness as I pulled my coat tighter around my neck. Ugh, I should have just stayed in the pub, I muttered as I strode on towards home. I lived a healthy walk outside of town, 
I wouldn't usually go on foot, but the taxis on Patty's Day are like gold at the end of a rainbow. They don't exist. I cut across the deserted square and was about to cross the road when a blur of color got my attention. Through an archway, on the far side of the square was an old cobbled lane leading down to the park. Halfway down the lane, a figure stood in a shaft of yellow light, a man wearing a leprechaun mask, one of those whole head ones with a cheap orange wig, a furry green top hat, and a full rubber face. This one looked mangled on one side like it had been melted into a twisted smirk. I stared back for an eternal split second, hoping I'd only caught him about to take a piss. I'd seen half a dozen of them at the parade earlier that day. But he just stood there, broad shoulders and fists clenched in a silhouette, the light catching his fake grinning face. His eyes were empty black sockets. My insides turned to ice as my mind played a montage of vintage Jason Voorhees in my head. Real helpful, brain. Thanks for that. I slowly started to walk away. Damn it. I hope I'm a final girl, I thought, never taking my eyes off him. He hadn't moved. Just as he was out of sight, I speed walked across the square and up a side road toward the safety of home. I still had a while to go before I'd get there. I zigzagged across several streets and broke into a jog until my lungs burned enough for me to stop. I walked to the edge of the street where the town met the countryside and decided to take a shortcut through the fields. I was probably being paranoid. I'd always felt safe in this town, but I'd watched too many slashers and didn't want to star in one. Growing up here, you get to know all the best places for sneaking around unseen. I glanced behind me and saw nothing. I ducked through a familiar gap in the hedgerow, allowing the branches to comb through my hair as I went. Out here, I only had moonlight to guide me, bathing the grassland in treetops and shades of silver, like walking through an Ansel Adams photo. I could have used my phone, but still feeling spooked, I kept it in my pocket. Although on familiar ground, I still felt exposed walking through the middle of the long field. My jeans started to suck up the moisture from the damp grass while I repeatedly checked behind me. Still no followers. I could hear the usual sway of the trees and the distant mournful cry from a fox, but nothing more. Phew. I let out a sigh. Nearly at the next field, and I'm almost home. Peeking through the next row of bushes, there were no flashing lights or loud laughter. Just an empty field. There's a huge flat stone in the center where all the local teenagers meet up to get drunk. I hoped there might be a few here tonight, but I needed more time. I emerged from the bushes into the gray meadow. The gap was smaller and the branches clawed at my hair and clothes as if trying to drag me back. Just as I'd extracted myself not so gracefully, I heard the distant rustle of something moving through the bushes in the field behind me. I glanced back through the gaps in the branches my pupils dilating as they searched the murk. There it was. A flash of orange. Fuck, I whispered to the dark. I backed away, searching between the fauna for another flash of dreaded orange. I started moving faster as the adrenaline pumped my heart into panic mode. Now trotting backward, I turned, ready to pelt into a full sprint when something met my foot and went flying ahead. As I stumbled and the ground rose up to meet my face, how far away was he? I cried out involuntarily and looked up from my tangle in the grass. It was a fox, a bright orange fox. Its head had smashed against the rock after I kicked it. From the splatter of crimson on the stone and the stillness of its body, I could safely assume it was dead. I kicked a fox, and now it's dead. 
What kind of person kicks a fox? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie dot com. That's A N G I dot com. The question cycled in my mind as I dragged myself to my feet, my knees and lips stinging from the fall. I tasted the iron tang of blood and touched my lip tentatively. Yep, split. I limped over to the poor fox. It was still. I'm so sorry, I said to him. Suddenly feeling overwhelmingly sad, I slumped on the stone next to it. I always liked sitting on this stone. There's a comfortable dip in the center, like it was made as a seat. Even if it's always cold, I could feel my lips starting to swell as I tongued the fresh wound. My whole front was soaked from the grass, and my knees felt weak. Diving deeper into my self-pity, I hardly noticed the movement behind me at first—a great end to Patty's day. A twig snapped, and I wrenched my head around to see the leprechaun man standing a few feet behind me. His warped rubber smile leered at me in the gray light, framed with that cheap bath mat wig and dirty shamrock top hat. The rest of him wore ordinary faded jeans and a worn brown jacket. A gold cross glittered on his chest. Look, I don't know what you want, but I'm sorry if I offended you, and I'll just be heading home now. I don't want any trouble. I stammered as I stood up on unsteady feet. I started to back away while searching my pockets for my phone. Empty. It must have fallen out when I tripped, but I daren't break my gaze with him to look around me. As a defense. I found my keys and stuck them between my fingers. He cocked his head and took a step forward. "Fuck off!" I yelled, brandishing my key-shaped knuckle duster in his direction. "What do you want? Back off!" I said, waving it around maniacally. I took another step back and felt a crunch under my left foot before it slipped out from under me, and I fell hard on my ass. Well, at least I found my phone. I could see the now concave screen had completely cracked as it lay in the grass at my feet. Great. The leprechaun started to laugh. He threw his head back enough for me to see the stubble on his neck as he cackled at the sky, holding his sides. I continued to back up on my sore backside when I heard an undertone beneath the laughter. Another sound. My heart was thumping so hard in my ears that it was hard to decipher, but it was growing louder. It sounded like. Slithering, like something hollow and wet sliding around itself. Just then, I noticed a slight movement in the fox. For a moment, I thought I'd been mistaken and it was still alive, but it wasn't moving right. Something was wrong. The fox's jaw widened slightly as a fat red worm wriggled itself into the open air. It stuck out from the gaping muzzle, shining scarlet in the moonlight. I was transfixed. 
There was something vaguely familiar about how it moved, but I couldn't figure it out. The worm felt around its new surroundings and grew larger, still sticking out from the row of teeth. The leprechaun bastard was recovering from his fit of laughter and couldn't see the fox from the far side of the great stone. I stared as the fat worm felt around the edge of the jaw, tipping its head off each tooth in a row. As it stretched to touch the grass, another appeared, and then another, until eight chubby worm heads were visible. They moved strangely in unison. Each worked in tandem with the other as they felt around. Then, like a group of synchronized swimmers, they each curled over a portion of the open jaw and began to open it wider and wider. The whole dance had only lasted several seconds, but I was mesmerized by this gross yet strangely hypnotic sight. Part of me had totally forgotten about the psycho carrot top over there. He had stopped laughing and was probably annoyed I wasn't giving him my full attention. I could see him advancing in my peripheral vision, but I couldn't take my eyes off the fox. The carcass was moving with the widening of its maw. The eight worms had opened it up like setting a bear trap. The fox's teeth stuck upright like little bright stones in the gloom. The chubby worms strained against the sides as the masked man came closer. I could feel the tension in their little red bodies as they tore the jaw wider apart, leaving a wide open void in the center of the carcass at the base of the stone. The worms released their grasp on the jaw and began to slide outward. The wet, slithering sound returned as their heads touched the grass. It seemed they were attached to something. Something inside the void. Another two fatter worms appeared on either side, quickly followed by... It was then I realized the familiarity of the worms' movements. They weren't worms at all. They were fingers. My brain couldn't compute what I had been watching. The gnarled, false-faced man had made it to my side of the stone by the time I tore my eyes away from the unreal sight in front of me. I looked at his distorted face and back to the fox. He followed my stare. What the f- He bellowed in fright and leapt back in surprise. The sounds of slithering and squelching made my stomach revolve in disgust as a wet head started to emerge. Two gore-covered arms stretched out of the dilating abyss, grabbing tufts of grass in a blood-slick grasp, then shoulders, then a blood-soaked torso of a man birthed itself from the still too small gap. His face was obscured by long, bloody hair, which clung to him like sinew as he clawed his way into reality. My midnight stalker sputtered loudly and lifted the bottom of his stupid mask, enough for a torrent of vomit to erupt onto the grass beside him. This strange delivery was apparently more than his stomach could handle. The stench of cider and bile lingered in the air as he stood bent over, swaying slightly. The only sounds were his wheezy gasps and the sucking noise as the man dragged his feet out of the now decimated remains of the fox. Steam rose from his skin in the soft light as unknown viscera dripped onto the silver grass. The ancient man slowly rose to his feet, he was tall, broad, and completely naked. As the blood slid down his body, it revealed a galaxy of small Celtic symbols tattooed all over him. He parted his slick hair like curtains, revealing a stern bearded face with heavy dark eyebrows. The whites of his eyes glowed menacingly against the dark blood-stained face. He looked straight at my would-be attacker, who whimpered audibly. The gore-covered man took one step forward as the guy who still hadn't removed the mask took out a box cutter from his pocket and slashed it at the air in front of him. A box cutter? I used the term men loosely. So that's what you were going to do to me? 
I shouted incredulously despite the bizarre play being acted out between the two men. Another swipe as he started to back away. I heard a soft chuckle from the naked man. Swipe, swipe. The naked man kept striding confidently towards the masked slasher and grasped his arm on the fifth slash, bending it back at an awful angle until it snapped at the elbow with a loud crack. The sound echoed around the field and down the valley. The leprechaun shrieked in pain and fell to his knees, but the naked man chuckled again. He grabbed him by the scruff and dragged him on his back as if he weighed nothing towards the stone. He began to shriek again, flailing his legs and one good arm in a futile attempt to free himself. He dragged the man across the stone like a bascule at a guillotine, leaving his head hanging over the dead fox at the comfortable dip where I'd sat so many times before. The relict man looked down upon him and put a hand out to lightly grasp the gold chain around his neck. He held the tiny gold cross in his hand before letting it drop again. As I watched in the shadow of the hedges, he plucked a large claw from his hair, then sliced the leprechaun down the belly in a flash. The man screamed, then gurgled, and finally fell silent. I could feel a slight change in pressure around me, and my ears popped when he cracked the ribcage open across the stone as if about to perform a ritual autopsy. Only then did he look over at me. Our eyes met, and I knew he wouldn't kill me. I had summoned him. He smiled. I got up and walked over to the splayed corpse on the rock, and trails dripping down like streamers and organs thrown haphazardly on the grass. He took my hand, and I never felt so calm. We both looked down into the growing chasm deep in the masked man's ribcage and into another world. The ebony depths looked so inviting. I looked him in the eyes once more and stepped inside. I hope you enjoyed St. Patrick's Night as written by Emma Lauren and voiced by Elithia Fay. Our beloved Elithia Fay's performances can be found here on our very own network. We're proud to have her with us. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author S.M. Small and is performed by Jeff Sturdivant, Melissa Medina, Alicia Pavlis, Nick Goroff, and myself, Steve Taylor. This is your standard case of déjà vu, but with a deadly twist. Without further ado, I present to you The Premonition. Graduating high school came and went faster than I would have liked it to. Now, after spending some time finding myself, which was for about a year, I've decided to attend Boston University for computer science. I'm a pretty practical guy, so I feel like a career in computer science makes sense. I like computers, and I like numbers. May as well make that my life's calling, I guess. I still have my doubts. Before I go off to the university, I decided it would be a good idea to pay a visit to my grandparents in Chicago, one last time. When I called to let them know, my grandma answered. Hello? Grandma spoke in her usual, gentle way that always made me feel so happy, so loved. Hey, Grandma. It's Jackson. I smiled through the phone as my grandma made a gasp of joy. Jackson, my sweet boy, how are you? Uh, what are you getting up to these days? Well, I've decided to attend Boston University in the fall. 
Got my classes selected and everything. Classes start next month. I took a swig of my Dr. Pepper and looked down at the airline ticket in my hand. It read the date, 8.25, and the time, 6.30 a.m. next to it. A pretty blonde woman stood in front of a large blue and white airplane on the ticket. She smiled widely, and I fantasized briefly of how awesome it would be if she was the stewardess on the flight. Drifting back to reality, my grandma was shouting to her husband that I'd been accepted to college. I chuckled to myself. I knew she'd be happy. Grandma finally came back to the phone, sounding a bit out of breath from shouting. Your grandpa is out back chopping wood, dear, but he says he's so proud of you, Jackie boy. I laughed, beaming with pride. I'm not done yet, Grandma. I've got more to say. Oh, really? Uh, Aren't you just full of surprises today? Grandma said, the sound of papers rustling in the background. I'm coming to visit in a few weeks, before the semester starts. Mom bought the ticket for me already. I'm scheduled for departure on August 25th at 6.30 in the morning. I could hear Grandma gasp with joy again. Jack said that is just wonderful. I'll get the guest bedroom cleaned up and ready for your arrival. Grandpa will be so excited. I'll tell him it's supper time so we can get all that wood chopped up before nightfall. I could hear the front door open downstairs and the sound of keys dropping on the counter. Jackson! My mother called out. Jackson! Come get the groceries from the car, honey! She shouted up the stairs. Gotta go, Grandma. Mom needs the groceries brought in. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Jackie, say hello to your mother for me. I'll be looking forward to your visit. I hear Grandma put the phone on the receiver without hanging it up, and I laughed a bit. I could hear her rummaging around with papers before I ended the call for both of us and headed down the stairs. The feeling of an airplane taking off is definitely a strange one. It feels surreal, almost unnatural for a human to be experiencing it. If you think about it, I guess it is unnatural, considering humans are born without wings. The plane shook gently as we ascended into the sky, and I looked around for anything interesting to burn some time. I sat closest to the aisle, taking in bright lighting and rows upon rows of mottled blue seating. Many seats had subtle stains here and there from years of constant occupancy. The lighting was actually pretty trippy looking, kind of like a faded blue downpour from the ceiling with many bulbs of yellow thrown in. Felt more like a spaceship than a common airplane. Next to me, a heavyset guy, maybe in his late 40s, coughed and nearly hacked up a lung. The man roughly tapped me on the shoulder and coughed in my face. Hey, buddy. You got a tissue? He groaned, breathing rancid fish breath right in my face. No, man, sorry, I grumbled, covering my mouth and slinking deeper into my seat. The man shot me an annoyed look before shifting in his seat to face the direction of the porthole, another heavy cough ripping the air. Rolling my eyes in disgust, I scanned the aisle, checking out my fellow passengers. A few rows in front of me, a mother struggled while pushing her bags into the containment units above her seat. Her daughter, maybe four or five, was wearing a pink dress and curly blonde ringlets for hair. She sat on the floor beneath her mother, playing with some dolls. I heard the little girl humming a song as she played with her toys. 
sounded familiar, but not something little girls commonly sang. Straining to hear, it sounded like she was humming the late Chopin's funeral march. Why would a little girl hum a song like that? And why would she decide to hum it right now, thousands of feet in the air, floating among the clouds inside a metal coffin? I felt unnerved. The feeling of the jet engine mildly shaking the cabin sparked an unexpected anxiety. Watching the girl hop up, she jumped around while her mother tried to get her to buckle in. The little girl continued to bounce around, humming the same song, louder now. She danced about, humming the funeral march, and I felt increasingly sick to my stomach. Diverting my attention to anything not related to thoughts of impending doom, gloom, and death, I stared at the electronic clock on my laptop, watching the seconds tick by in slow motion. Moments dragged on with the occasional hacking noises from my neighbor and quiet talking amongst the passengers. I couldn't keep the foreboding piano tones from creeping into my mind. Slowly, the piano riffs lulled, and then crescendoed into an aching pound of keys inside my head. Rubbing my forehead, cold sweat caked onto the back of my hand. I couldn't handle sitting there anymore. I had to move or I was going to freak out. The intercom beeped to life as I unbuckled myself. Good morning, passengers. This is your pilot checking in to let you know we are currently en route to Chicago and making great time. If the weather continues to favor us, we are set to land about 9.45 or so. With that said, set back, relax, and enjoy the flight. The intercom beeped again, signaling the end of the transmission. Looking to the back of the cabin, I located the bathroom and made my way to it. I felt nauseous. All I wanted to do was sit in the isolation chamber for a few minutes to settle myself, turn to my seat, and land without a hitch. Locking myself inside, I sat in the confined space. The silence was deafening, and after a long moment I began humming to myself. I was humming nothing in particular at first, but then I came to realize I was humming the funeral march. Great, now it's stuck in my head, I groaned bending over, pressing my head into my hands and between my legs. I sighed. The plane lurched suddenly, lifting me off the toilet seat and landing ass first on the floor. I sat there a moment in bewilderment, beeping noises beginning to sound around me. I got to my feet and flushed, preparing to go back to my seat and buckle in. I reached for the handle, and then suddenly, I wasn't anymore. My body lifted and wrenched to the wall of the isolation chamber in an instant. I could feel my face stretching into the wall itself as the plane seemingly nosedived straight down to what would surely be a fatal impact. Ear-shattering sounds erupted around me. Outside the chamber, the screams of my fellow passengers cascaded in waves as the airplane lurched and swayed out of control. My hands clawed the wall as I screamed into the darkness. I stared at the ceiling from my bedroom floor in a confused daze. My right leg was still hanging onto the bed, tangled in a mess of blankets. I groaned and looked up at the clock sitting on the nightstand. 4.23 a.m. Showtime. After a shower and a quick breakfast, 
Mom drove me to the airport. She walked me to the gate with tears in her eyes. She always gets nervous when I travel. I hugged her goodbye and boarded the 6.30 flight with a heavy heart. It's totally normal to have weird dreams about flying before actually doing it, I mumbled to myself, ascending the boarding gate and slipping through the door. A pretty blonde stewardess in a blue suit was there, and she kindly directed me to my seat. She wasn't the blonde girl pictured on my ticket, but a guy could dream, right? I stood in the aisle a moment, quickly surveying the area. I was scanning for freaky little blonde girls humming classical death songs more than anything else. There weren't any. A surreal sensation came over me as I walked to my seat. My pulse quickened slightly, and a cold chill creeped up my spine. I sat down, feeling uneasy. Looking down at the royal blue cloth handrest, I noticed it was stained an ugly greenish brown. Awesome. The airline's signature blue and yellow spaceship lighting added to my uneasiness. As the other passengers boarded, I noticed a heavy-set man maybe in his late 40s appear in the aisle. My heart sank as he made his way toward me, and his facial features became increasingly clear. But me... Just going to squeeze by now. The man huffed as he pushed and inched his body by mine to get into his window seat. My eyes turned to the ceiling as I did my best to pretend there wasn't a large, middle-aged man's butt inches from my face. Once the man had settled in, he coughed heavily, turning red in the face after a good minute of hacking and spitting into his hands. Hey, buddy. You got a tissue? He groaned breathing rancid fish breath right in my face. I turned and looked at him with wide eyes, my cheeks turning a pale greenish blue. No, man. Sorry. I croaked in reply, doing my best to hide my shaking hands as I shifted to face away from him. The man grunted in reply and said nothing more. He shifted his attention to looking out the porthole instead. I stared intently at the passengers all settling into their seats, as the rustling around me eventually slowed into only the dull rumbling of the engine. I relaxed myself and shut my eyes. The sound of piano keys danced in my head as my faded eyes came back to focus. It felt as though the funeral march was beginning to haunt me. It didn't help that my neighbor was a living product of my nightmares. Did you know that we're going to die soon? A small voice chirped happily to my right. I nearly launched from my seat in shock. What? I stuttered, looking into the pale blue eyes of a blonde little girl in a pink dress. Blonde curls hugged rosy pink cheeks. I stared at her in disbelief as the color drained from my face. Did you know that we're going to land soon? Wakey, wakey, mister. She replied, poking my arm. Anna, come here now. Leave that young man alone. Buckle in, sweetie. Her mother scolded, patting the seat next to her just a few rows ahead from where I sat. The little girl whined and bounced away, settling back into her seat as she was told. The cabin shook and swayed as we entered a monstrous black storm cell. The portholes became black circles of nothingness, 
the whole cabin seemed to take a darker turn as tension rose. The intercom screeched to life as the pilot began a crackly, warbled announcement. Good morning, passengers. We're set to land in about 30 minutes. Unfortunately, weather conditions are not favorable and we'll have to circle for a clear landing. More to come. Sit tight. We're in for a ride today, folks. The intercom crackled and beeped again, signaling the end of the transmission. I sighed wearily, grasping the stained armrests in an iron grip as the airplane rocked and swayed. Booms of thunder roared around blasts of lightning, erupting from gigantic black blotches of dark storm clouds. Wind forced the plane off course, turning the plane far onto its right side, flying at a vertical angle. Screams ran out in the cabin, many people hanging tightly from their seats by their seatbelts. The airplane eventually evened out after long, harrowing moments of vertical terror. Many men and women on the plane were crying, grabbing for oxygen. I could hear someone in the rows behind me throwing up. After a moment, silence overtook the cabin as everyone listened to the storm raging just outside the lining of the plane. Tension built as we came to realize the severity of the weather conditions. Thunder cracked, and the airplane dropped suddenly, then abruptly snapped up again. The intercom beeped to life once again, and I silently begged for the landing announcement to ring through the cabin. I want it off. Now. We are circling in for a landing now, folks. Please remain seated until the plane has reached a complete stop. Thanks for flying with us. The intercom beeped again as cries of joy and relief sounded within the cabin. I sat up, ignoring the thunder and lightning as we began our descent into Chicago. Finally, Grandma and Grandpa are probably waiting for me right now, I said as I looked at my watch, noting the time was 9.34 a.m. And we made great time, too, all factors considered. I added with a smile. As we descended the clouds, I noticed the eerie blue lighting flicker in the cabin. It flickered again, before shutting on and off quickly. Gulping nervously, I checked the tightness of my seatbelt. We broke clear of the clouds, and the beautiful lights of Chicago came into view. Thunder crashed, and lightning struck with violent fury. A terrible cracking noise snapped, and the airplane whipped sharply to the right, and then straight down toward the earth at an increasing velocity. Screams exploded inside the cabin as bright orange flames danced on the right wing of the aircraft, black smoke rising in its wake. The blonde stewardess that helped me to my seat earlier flew by in a flash, landing with a sickening crash against the wall, blood pouring from her smashed skull. My lungs ached as the pressure pushing me into my seat intensified, and I began to meld with the material. Flashes of orange, yellow, and red lit up the cabin, exposing screaming faces, flailing arms, and crying children. Tears rolled down my face as I looked over my screaming neighbor and out the porthole. The only thing I could see was a sparkling blue mass drawing ever closer as we fell from the sky in a burning metal casket. In our final moments, lightning illuminated the sky in a powerful display of nature's power. 
purple-white sparks blinded my vision before crashing into the depths of Lake Michigan. Blue swirls of water broke the portholes upon impact, sloshing inside the cabin. Those who were not already dead when they sat wrestled with their seatbelts to escape. Panicked cries came from every direction, becoming increasingly frantic as the plane sank deeper into the lake. Water easily drowned the aircraft before anyone could escape. Every single person on board that plane died. I wish I would have listened to my own warning literally inside my head. The funeral march was a message from the subconscious. I wish I would have taken a different flight. When you're dead, none of these frivolous thoughts matter so much anymore. I couldn't have stopped the plane from crashing into the lake, whether I wanted to or not. Fate has sealed the tests of time. I just got to see mine before it happened. I should have listened. I hope you enjoyed The Premonition, as written by S.M. Small and performed by Jeff Sturdivant, Melissa Medina, Alicia Pavlis, Nick Goroff, and myself, Steve Taylor. Author, voice actor, and producer Jeff Sturdivant is a man of many talents, and about 91.7% of them are ones you can tell your mother about. (laughs) He does a lot of work for us here at the network where you can find many of his stories as well as performances. And be sure to check him out on Audible while you're at it. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Garoff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. As a reminder, voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com. That's H-E-A-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com. And since I'm plugging away here, be sure to check out all the other shows we offer on our network. We have Horror Hill, airing Thursdays for your hardcore, more brutal offerings. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Fear from the Heartland airs Wednesdays. Longtime resident Otis Jiry has a show on Sunday nights that features two stories on the Standard Edition, as well as two more which can be accessed through our patrons area. Now, our weekly Descent into the Depths has just about come to a close. But before we go... I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure.
Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.